0: Shalom, and welcome to the Beit Tahila Community Podcast, discovering the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith. And now, from beautiful in Florida, hear your hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, shalom, everybody, and welcome. We are excited this week. It is the Beit Tahila Community Podcast. And you are listening, and I am your co-host, Ryan Cabrera, and I am in Studio A here today with Pastor Nick Plummer. Hey, Pastor Nick. Shalom, shalom. And so normally, on a weekly basis, you hear us talk about the weekly tour portion, and this week, uh, there is all kinds of different portions, depending on which, yes, special readings. which schedule that you go, or which calendar you follow, and we're not going to get into any of those debates today about which one is oh, is mm. the best, but we are going to talk about the Feast of Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruit. So let's just take this as a, hey, we're going to go through the basics. For those of you that are listening, maybe some of you guys have been celebrating Easter all your life, and you're like, wait a second, Jesus is the Passover. I should celebrate the Passover. And you want to listen and kind of figure out, hey, what is this all about? Well, we're going to answer, hopefully, most of your questions uh, about that. And we're also going to show you the most important point. I'm going to let the cat out of the bag from the very beginning. Yeshua is the point of the Passover. Absolutely,
1: Ryan. We are just so excited to share this truth with all of you. Uh, Some of you have heard the references or or the term progressive revelation. Um, What it is, it's God's plan unfolding throughout the ages. And so we are seeing some incredible things happening. Actually, in regards uh, to the Feast of Passover, just a little testimony. In March of 1992, I was born again. I got saved in the evening in my apartment. It was in the evening. It was an incredible time. Uh, I don't know the exact date boy, it was so incredible. I could probably go back, maybe look at some journals or something, but it wasn't really that important. But all I know is my life was totally changed in that one moment of being born again, where my spirit and God's spirit connected. And I confessed Yeshua, you know, as Lord and, uh, and that God raised him from the dead. So I cried out to him and he saved me that night. It was incredible. What an incredible journey I've been on ever since. Uh, and with that, of course, this time of year is very special as well. Uh, you bloom where you're planted. Think about that. Time for things to bloom. Uh, Well, in the spring of 1995, I celebrated my very first Passover, uh, Feast of Pesach or Passover. And um, the cool thing was I got to celebrate it with Batya and Angus Wooten. Uh, That's right, she's the famous author of Who is Israel and Why You Need to Know. Uh, Once again, this is a wonderful couple. I consider them um, a matriarch and a patriarch in this movement as well. And they also, this couple, uh, to give them honor uh, by Angus Wooten, they actually married my wife and I on July 24th, 1999. So to go back to my first Passover, uh, my first Passover was, of course, uh, an interesting uh, event because they actually were going to go over and share and and actually act out the four Passovers. And that's what we're going to do, Ryan. We're going to look at the four Passovers found in the Bible and how Passover actually evolves, and how it's evolving even now, and what's happening. And, and of course, in hindsight, it's easy to look at this, but it's also great to think about the future, and that's what we're going to do. So we're going to look at the four Passovers that are found in the Bible. We're going to start with the very first one. It is the family Passover, and I'm going to have Ryan read Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, in regards to the very first Passover found in the Scriptures, law first mentioned, the family, or mishpacha. Passover.
0: That's right, the family Passover. Here we go. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, and Aaron, I'm sorry, Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out of from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening." And they shall take the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it.
1: Awesome. So the very first Passover is, of course, it is the uh, the family Passover. We can see it. Uh, families actually met in their homes. Those that were in smaller homes could join together, but nobody was left out. I think that's amazing. And so as we look at verse 8, uh, what three ingredients were needed for the family Passover?
0: Ooh, so this is going to be lamb, unleavened bread, and bitter
1: herbs. So once again, these are the three main ingredients found in the original Passover law, first mentioned, lamb, unleavened bread, and bitter herbs. Let's just look at these three in in a little more detail. Of course, uh, the lamb was needed, and of course we know uh, that was the sacrifice, the the lamb, of course, the blood would be applied to the doorposts, and the lamb would be eaten. Isn't that interesting? Oh, yeah. The families uh, would would have this lamb. And, and it's funny, too, because uh, it says basically on the 10th day of the first month, uh, we call it Nisan, uh, you will take a lamb and inspect it. And then on the 14th, you will, of course, uh, sacrifice it and apply the blood to the doorpost. And that's what we see in the very first Passover, Which is very interesting because that would be today, Ryan. Uh, Last night began uh, the 10th day of the month when you would take that lamb and inspect it, bring it to your house, and then imagine that the kids just love it and it's around. And then you slit its throat, and here's the blood, and here's the lamb. And actually, you know, you're eating your little pet. Uh, You know, how how intimate is that? I mean, you know, it's like that's like the Lord. You know, He was among the people. Uh, You know, He actually showed Himself six days before uh the the, the personal passover was for into extra that. credit right but I mean he did he showed himself and said hey look at me he was walking around he's in the city you know he was to be inspected and blameless and w- without spot uh, and so there's a lot more to that but that's the family Passover and of course we we see that being played out but once again we have the unleavened bread they didn't have time for the leaven to go into the uh, the loaves there and for it to rise. Uh, they had to leave in haste. That's why they had the unleavened bread without leaven, and that's going to serve a purpose as well. It's like to flee and get rid of sin as fast as you can, to get out of there as fast as you can. And, of course, the bitter herbs would represent what? Uh, the the bondage of Egypt. Egyptian bondage uh, that the Egyptians put them through, it also would, of course, represent the bondage to sin, um And so once again, we have these three main ingredients in the family Passover. So
0: so, a couple of verses that I like, the past verse 8, verse 11 says, And thus you shall eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So this is cool because we talk about in Leviticus 23, uh, which we haven't gotten to in the Torah portions yet, but we got that, what, in two more weeks, uh, three more weeks. And it says here, though, it, it is the Lord's Passover. So who does the Passover belong to? The Lord. That's right. Amen. So I think that's a, a cool point that God makes there, that this doesn't belong to the Jews or the Christians or any individual, that the Passover is the Lord's. Um, and that, you know, ultimately the Passover is the Lord, Jesus Christ, because He is our Passover. So then uh, we bump down to verse 14 in the same chapter, chapter 12, and it says, "...and this day shall be unto you for a memorial." Memorial meaning that we're going to do it every year, "...in memory of." And so it says, "...and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever." So the idea here is that the Feast of Passover is forever. That the Feast of Passover is not temporary. This is not for the Jews only. This is not just for Israel. The Feast of Passover is for the world. It represents the salvation of God through Jesus Christ, which we're going to get into later. And it is forever." And, and just a little
1: reminder, so all of you understand that when Adam and Eve sinned, they took fig leaves and covered themselves. And uh, I, I know this bears repeating. And the Lord says, no, no, he made him coats of skins. So, you know, you have to think about it. Um, you know, uh, as you as you look at the, uh, the response to this, it's very interesting. Uh, And I'm, of course, uh, developing this even more as we look at it. You know, Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. We can go into all of this. The life of the flesh is in the blood. So once again, uh, we have this family Passover. Uh, We're going to move on now to the second Passover found in the Bible. It is the congregational Passover. And it's, of course, found in Deuteronomy uh, 16, verses 1 through 8. So what do families become? Congregations. You know, we have the tabernacle, you then you have the temple. And these, of course, families become congregations. So let's look at the family becoming a congregation in Deuteronomy, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8.
0: All right. And so verses uh, 1 through 8 of chapter 16 observe the month of Abib, which is another name for Nisan, Abib, first month, all, all those are the same thing. And keep the Passover unto the Lord thy God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord thy God brought thee forth out of Egypt. Uh, by night. Thou shalt therefore sacrifice the Passover unto the Lord thy God of the flock and the herd in the place which the Lord shall choose to place his name there. Thou shalt eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days shalt thou eat unleavened bread therewith, even the bread of affliction, for thou camest forth of affliction for thou I'm sorry for thou camest forth out of the land of Egypt in haste and thou mayest remember the day when thou camest forth out of the land of Egypt all the days of thy life and there shall be no leaven bread seen with thee in all thy coasts 7 days neither shall there anything of the flesh which thou sacrificest the first day at even remain all night until the morning Thou mayest not sacrifice the Passover uh, within any of thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, but at the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name in, there thou shalt sacrifice the Passover at even, at the going down of the sun, at the season that thou camest forth out of Egypt. And thou shalt roast and eat it in the place which the Lord thy God shall choose, and thou shalt turn in the morning and go unto thy tents." Six days thou shalt eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord thy God. Thou shalt do no work therein. Very good. So here's the question. Uh, where was the congregational Passover to be celebrated? Uh, well, into the place where God was going to put His name, which is ultimately Jerusalem. Yeah, Yerushalayim. You know, uh,
1: you know. I'm reading this book, The Last Week. Uh, it's a very interesting book, and uh, it's by... A, uh, two gentlemen, Marcus J. Borg and John Dominic Croson, or Croson, uh, the last week. It's very interesting. And uh, as you want to put a, a sacrifice or offerings in perspective, I want to read this to you right out of this book. Uh, it's really opened up my eyes to this uh, revelation of, of Torah and the five sacrifices. Check this out. Uh, it says here that... Um, In sacrifice as meal, the animal was transferred to God by having its blood poured over the altar and was then returned to the offerer as divine food for a feast with God. In other words, the offerer did not so much invite God to a meal as God invited the offerer to a meal. Wow. Now check this out. First, sacrifice and suffering. I love this. Offerers never thought, that the point of sacrifice was to make the animal suffer or that the greatest sacrifice was one in which the animal suffered lengthily and terribly for a human meal or a divine meal. An animal had to be slain, but that was done swiftly and efficiently. Mm. Ancient priests were also excellent butchers. Second sacrifice and substitution Offerers never thought that the animal was dying in their place. See, that's the misconception. Offerers never thought the animal was dying in their place, that they deserved to be killed in punishment for their sins, but that God would accept the slain animal as substitutionary atonement or vicarious satisfaction. Blood sacrifice should never be confused with or collapsed into either suffering or substitution, let alone substitutionary suffering. So once again, this goes back to um, uh, the law of first mention, or understanding the real purpose. So back then, to ancient blood sacrifices as gift or meal, but not as suffering or substitution. Interesting. That's a part of it when you think about it, but you know what Yeshua had to go through as a human being. But remember that, it's, it's not that. Back then, to ancient blood sacrifices as a gift or meal but not as suffering or substitution. Just something to think about, everyone, as you as you keep that in perspective. And so, once again, families become congregations. And what's even being attacked now is the institution of the family. Who created the family? God did. Who created the institution of marriage? God did, you know? And so here we have the second Passover. Uh, moving on now, we have, of course, the uh, third Passover found in the Bible. Uh, we have, of course, the personal Passover, and we're going to read that and, and bring that uh, to a highlight in Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 29. And of course, that is uh, the Renewed Covenant, and, and Ryan's going to read it for us, and you're going to see the personal Passover.
0: And here it says, And, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom.
1: Wow, so we've already discussed the family uh, Passover in Exodus chapter 12. We have, of course, the congregational Passover, which is number two. Uh, found in Deuteronomy 16 verses 1 through 8, or 1 through 6, and then of course we have now the personal Passover. So see, everyone has to make a decision for Yeshua. Is he going to be the Lamb of God to you? Is he going to be that Lamb? You know, and it's a personal choice and decision that that families have to make, that groups of communities have to make, people have to make in our culture. And and I know I made that decision back in March of '92. And, uh, and Ryan did as well. So once again, we have this personal Passover. Uh, even those Jews that are blinded, you know, they have a free will. They have a choice to receive Christ, that Yeshua is the Messiah. Uh, the Apostle Paul makes mention about the blindness and part has happened to them and different things. But the bottom line is that we all have to make that choice. So it's so important to be relational, get to know people, respect people, value people. And then from there, you can get into discussions and talk about religion, politics, whatever you want to do. But the first thing is to recognize people and the value they have and to respect people's free will. And this is what we're having, of course. We know that uh, even John the Baptist uh, said in John 1 uh, you know, uh, hey, look, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That's what he referenced Yeshua. Hey, here's the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Uh, that's incredible. Uh, I want to tie something in with this because how much appreciative we are in regards to this particular act that Yeshua did, uh, becoming the lamb. Uh, matter of fact, the lamb is mentioned multiple times in the book of Revelation. At one time, there's a false lamb, just one reference, but all the other references, and I believe it's over 20 references to a lamb in the book of Revelation. Uh, and so uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, I want to read that to you, uh, our beloved Peter uh, Peter wrote this in a letter. He says this, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Wow, remember that? You had to get a lamb without spot or blemish. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. And who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Wow, that's incredible. That is awesome. And it's just accepting it. It's receiving it. It's knowing it. You know, these are spiritual laws, everyone, and and we know that God is a spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So He's laying down some spiritual laws here that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And of course, this blood was applied uh, in an appropriate way uh, in regards to that. And so once again, we can see a, a personal Passover. Now, if, if if Ryan's at Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29, if you could just read... Um, I guess you could actually read um, verse 29 again in Matthew 26. Just read that again.
0: Well, it says, but I... Uh, but I say unto you I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom Wow so he's waiting to drink from this cup again mm. but with us right So he's kind of leaving us hanging here
1: you know here's the cup you it's, know it's like a it's like a, a cliffhanger. It is a cliffhanger. I mean think about it so we've talked about the family Passover we've talked about congregational Passover. Now we're at this personal Passover. But we've got this final, final, final... We
0: do, but you know, I'll tell you what, before we get there, I think the personal Passover um, is cool. You know, one of the things we talked about in our group uh, last night was, there's a a verse in John chapter 1, verse 29, uh, and it says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So we now see a difference, right, that this Lamb is taking away the sin, whereas previously our sins were just covered. That's right. Or we were just, uh, you know, there was the Passover being the Passover of the death angel, but now we're saved from the second death, not just the first death. Um, And so the substance of Passover is Yeshua, is Jesus uh, the Messiah, the Christ. And... I think that what's cool about this personal Passover is that as a Christian, we receive Yeshua, and then what He does is He brings us into His fold, and now we receive the personal Passover, but guess what? We also get the congregational Passover, which is the past, and we get the kingdom Passover, which is the future, which we're going to go into now.
1: That is, that's coming up. So in Revelation 19, uh, verses 7-9, through we're moving towards the kingdom Passover. Now remember, the the personal Passover was 2,000 years ago. So we're closer to this Kingdom Passover than we even know. So let's check out this Kingdom Passover in Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through
0: 9. All right, here it says, Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife hath made herself ready. And to to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And He saith unto me, Write... Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage uh, supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Okay, so we're moving forward to this consummation of this marriage. So who is the marriage
1: supper of the Lamb for? Think about it, everybody. Who is the marriage supper of the Lamb for? I'm asking the question. What do you think it is, Ryan?
0: Mm, I'm going to say the wife that hath made herself ready.
1: That's right, his wife. The bride. The bride. You know, I'm a firm believer in this. As you study the Scriptures, you know, uh, in socialism, you know, everybody's an equal. Right. You're just an equal. So you take the wealth, you distribute it, everybody gets the same, you know, everybody's a winner, you know, uh, like universal salvation, oh, everybody makes it. But, you know, there are Scriptures that that beg to differ, you know. There are Scriptures that are actually at us, coming at us uh, full force here. Uh, and once again, if, if, the, if the bride is preparing herself, then what is she doing, Ryan? We are justified by the finished work of the cross. And that's what I love about Martin Luther, the fact of justification. But now that we're justified, God is sanctifying us. So if you, if you lay this out, you, can, you could say, well, there's probably three parties. You have, of course, the guests, the bridal party, and then, of course, the bride herself. Uh, this could play out. You know, just to say, oh, I'm the bride, I'm the bride. Prove it. Prove it, you know. Some of the most disturbing verses of the New Testament are the ones where he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Right. But wait a minute. We cast out devils. We healed the sick in your name. He's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you.
0: And then he says, you workers of
1: iniquity. And we won't have time to get into the fact that Yeshua was actually at Mount Sinai. That'll mess up your theology. He was the rock that followed them in the wilderness. Once again, let Scripture interpret scripture, you know, and actually says the congregation was in the wilderness. So there you have it. You know, the, the church wasn't something that was just brand new and just created in Acts. you know, Oh, look, here's another entity. Another the church, the church means ecclesia means called out ones. Sure. So why, why has the father called you out to bring you in? So here we have these four Passovers and now all of a sudden we, we can make it relevant for today. As we look back at the church of Corinth, I'm going to have Ryan read first Corinthians chapter five, uh, verses seven and eight, uh, once again, and this is in regards to, of course, not even, uh, not not just uh, Pesach but unleavened bread as well.
0: It is, and let me tell you, this is a great, you know, for those of you that are out there saying, "Hey, why are, you're a Christian? Why are you doing Passover?" Well, let's just point them to First Corinthians five, seven, and eight. Here's what it says: Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This is the Church of Corinth. Now, if we look at the culture and we take a humanities class
1: we know that Greek mythology was rampant. You had Dionysus, you had Zeus, temple prostitutes, all this crazy stuff, multiple gods, you know, the Titans, release the Kraken, you know, all this crazy stuff. And I was watching the History Channel one time and towards the end of this particular episode, I thought it was pretty brilliant, it was incredible. They said that Jesus usurped Zeus as the greatest god that more people believed in him, Yeshua, Jesus, than Zeus. And Zeus was losing his power or his ideology. So, you know, once again, you know, Paul is telling the Corinthian church, the church in Corinth, to keep the feast. And this is what I share with my pastor friends or Christians, you know. Listen, if, if the Apostle Paul were to write your church a letter, would this be applicable today? He, you know, and I'm not going to get into what the church is doing as far as all these other things. I'm just saying that he's, he, he likens even the, the church of Corinth. He says right there, as you are unleavened. Wow, he, he thought of them more highly than they probably did themselves. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, God thinks more highly of us than we do ourselves. Uh, and the way we see each other, God thinks of us more highly than we could ever imagine. Uh, he actually sees our potential and everything. Um, it's interesting. One of the examples I'd like to give is Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press, hiding. Because of the, uh, the, the time period he was in and the, and the enemies, that they would never find him threshing wheat in a wine press because it just isn't logical, you know. Uh, but the thing is, you know, when the angel appeared, he, goes, he called him like this mighty man of God you talking to me? Oh, come on. Hey, you've obviously got the wrong guy. Uh, apparently you didn't know I was hiding, you know? So so that's what the Father really does for us. He, he sees our potential. He sees where we fall down and get back up. Um, and once again, you know, uh, Pesach is this Friday night. It's October 19th. It'll be the Nissan 14, the first uh, month, the 14th day this evening. And actually, uh, just a little shout out to my beautiful wife. She will be Forty years old. What on Pesach? She's not old enough to be so. 40. Anyway, isn't that incredible? But what I love about this is that we're supposed to go into the season without wickedness or malice. That means ill intent towards somebody. Yeah. Don't think ill of someone. Don't wish bad things on people. You know. Uh, that's what malice is. It's like being manipulative or manipulating or I'll get you back or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. And especially with the whole wickedness, you know. But he wants to, us to have sincerity and truth. You know. You know what sincerity is. Let's say you see someone wearing a nice blouse or this or that. You know, uh, compliment somebody. You know, it's okay to do that. Yeah. You know, to be sincere, like you really mean it. You know, uh, I will say something like, "Hey, man, I really like that shirt." You know, and and uh, and I and I mean it. It's not just to say something to flatter somebody. Because remember, flattery
0: will get you everywhere. Right. Well, I'll give you a different. I'll give you different. Uh, sincerity. Be sincere. A different view on it. So here here's kind of what I think on this about the malice and wickedness, and I'll propose a question to our listeners. And the question is this: Is it possible? to keep the commandments of God in wickedness. Absolutely. I agree. Absolutely. And so here, he's actually describing this malice and wickedness as leaven. And so what I want to point you to is I want to point you to some scriptures in Luke. It's chapter 18 and verse 9 in the book of Luke. And it says, uh, uh, here, it says, And he spoke his this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And so here's the parable. Uh, and by the way, I uh, before I get into the parable itself, uh, Joe Bugle in my group pointed me to this reference uh, last night, and so shout out to Joe uh, for. Let me, let me tell you, man, when people get into the what's Hebrew the roots, reference? It's uh, chapter eighteen and verse nine of, of Luke. Luke eighteen nine. Yep. And so here it says, two men went up into the temple to pray; the one a Pharisee, and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. So, this is the contrast, right? So, this is the first one. Uh, All these things are pretty good things, right? He doesn't do, he doesn't extort people. He's not committing adultery, yada, 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 right? He's not doing this. Nobody's going to argue that those are bad things. But then when we contrast it with the publican, let's see what the publican says. It says, And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And so I think this parable that Jesus speaks is the perfect embodiment of these verses in First Corinthians 5, 7, and 8, that we should keep the feast. And I know we point to this verse as, hey, look, Paul says we should keep the feast, but more than keep the feast is the importance of not doing it with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And then that sincerity and truth is humility, is grace, is mercy, and love for one another. Uh, and I think that's just important that we we focus on that during Passover, because let me tell you, Passover is some weird stuff that goes on in the spirit realm. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was not a small event. And the Passover, which is that celebration, man, the enemy stirs up some stuff. And so people are going to uh, offend one another, and then betray and hate one another around this season, and it's just weird. So just Keep your head low, you know what I mean? Lay low. Keep your eyes on God. Do the limbo. You know, uh, stay stay in your in the Bible. How low can you and, go? And just keep a right spirit of grace and mercy for other people because Christ died for us when we were still sinners. And so the people that do things to us, right? They do it to him. Yeah, we're not
1: better than other people. That's correct. We just have a diff- We just have revelation. That's right. Yeah, we're we're not better than the church. We're not better than anybody. So let's move into the feast of unleavened bread. And because we only have one reader here besides myself and Ryan, <laughs> we we have well two readers theoretically. But and Tom's not here. But one day Tom's going to read. And so uh, until that day or that time. I would like to read Leviticus chapter 23, verses 6-8, through 8, in regards to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Boy, we're really moving up now. Here we go. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Unto the Lord, seven days you must eat unleavened bread. In the first day you shall have uh, a, convo- a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. But you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. And the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. So there you have it. We're moving into the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It begins on the 15th, so seven days. And then, of course, Pesach is on the 14th day, just to make that perfectly clear. So we have, of course, seven days that we are commanded to eat unleavened bread. So not only are we not to have leaven, Ryan, we're supposed to remember to eat the unleavened bread. And, of course, it's for seven days. Seven means completion. Now notice, Pesach is a one-day event, a one-time event, but the Feast of Unleavened Bread is is a personal process to get the leaven out of our lives. It's a lifetime. It takes forever. And so that's what we're working towards is is that to come to a a close, uh, the last of the sins, and so that would be a glorious day. But once again, it's seven means completion, so that's what it takes. It's going to take us a whole cycle to work towards this, and that's why it's seven, which means completion. Now, as we begin to look at this, here's a great question. How is the Feast of Unleavened Bread applicable to both Yeshua and us? And I just kind of gave you the answer on that one. First of all, Yeshua, the Son of God, is without sin. Uh, There was no leaven on the altar or in your offerings, not even honey. So once again, it's a picture of God. He's perfect, He's whole, He's complete, He's righteous, He's good. So Yeshua, the Son of God, is without sin, therefore He is likened to unleavened bread. And then, of course, once again, we referenced in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. You could apply this to yourself. You know, think, think, think highly of yourself, you know, build yourself up. Uh, the Apostle Paul likens the church in Corinth to unleavened bread.
0: He does, and, and so I would, if we're in Leviticus 23... I have to mention verse 2 uh, anytime I get the opportunity because it's just one of those verses. It says, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them concerning the feast of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Even these are the feast for the children of Israel. That's awesome. No, it doesn't say that. You weren't even. <laughs> it says, even you... these are my feast. Oh, they're the Lord's feast. The Lord says they his. And I just, I don't mean it's to pound that. It's addressed to
1: Israel, but it's the Lord's feast. Gotcha. That's correct. So a it is addressed to Israel, but it's the there.
0: Lord's feast. Yeah, and a it's a little set up. It is a little set up, I know. You know, Wow. It's a little <laughs> set up.
1: Wow. You know, it's interesting. It says that even in, in verse two, concerning the feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim. Uh, this word, proclaim, actually means to make flyers, mm-hmm. put it out on social media, tell everyone. You know, we put two big red, red banners up on the on the property there when people are driving by from Fishhawk. Thousands of people are seeing the two Passover signs, come celebrate Passover with us, just wooing them and bringing them in, you know? Oh, yeah. And so we we have that going on. So there we have the uh, Feast of Pesach, or Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now we're going to get into, last but not least in the Spring feasts, the Feast of First Fruits. In Leviticus chapter 23, verses 10 through 14, I'm going to have Ryan read those verses. Once again, the feast of first fruits follows Pesach or Passover and the feast of unleavened bread.
0: All right, so speak unto the children of Israel and say to them, When ye be come into the land which I give unto you and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you on the morrow after the Sabbath. The priest shall wave it, and ye shall offer that day when ye wave the sheaf of the uh, sheaf, a he lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the meat offering thereof shall be two tent deals, two tenth deals of fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savour. And the drink offering thereof shall be of wine, the fourth part of a hen. And ye shall eat neither bread nor parched corn nor green ears until the selfsame day that ye have brought an offering unto your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in your dwellings. So you took
1: us all the way through to uh, verses 10 through 14, the Feast of First Fruits. Uh, so when was the
0: sheaf or the omer of the first fruits waved by the priest Ryan? Ooh, man, what a hot topic. Are you sure you want to go there? It says here, on the morrow after the Sabbath. So, the day after the Sabbath, you're going to have first fruits. Yes. We're going to tie
1: all this in, everyone, because now we know that uh, the evidence is overwhelming, as we, of course, want to tie in something here, which is, of course, uh, Yeshua's resurrection.
0: It is. And you know what, I want to just real quick uh, give Beit position on when this is, because there's uh, a lot of people with different opinions, and I'm not saying any of those opinions are wrong.
1: We want to talk about the resurrection before we get into the counting of the Omer. We can. Fine. Cool. I see where you're going. I know let's you do. do this. Now mm-hmm. here's the thing. So I want you to just go with me on this journey, Ryan, because here's the thing. If First Fruits is the day after the Sabbath... Then we have to think about this, and I'm going to have. I want Ryan to read Yeshua's resurrection in Matthew chapter 28 verses 1 through 7. So now we're going to go, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago, and we're going to look at Yeshua's resurrection, and we're going to tie it into first fruits. Yeah, you're going to love this. So simple.
0: It is super simple, and this is verses 1 through 7 of chapter 28 in Matthew. It says, "In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher." And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead, and behold, He goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see Him. Lo, I have told you.
1: Wow. So you know what's really amazing about this? Uh, Once again, in, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, so we know the day begins in the evening, Saturday night, so now it's going into Sunday morning, and this is where you get, of course, the church doing their sunrise, you know, Easter services and different things. This is where they get this from. But, but I want to point out to you that it was the first day of the week, okay? And, uh, and I love what Yeshua did, what Jesus did. He showed himself to Mary Magdalene. The very first person to see him was Mary Magdalene. You know, and, and the Bible says she had seven demons. She was a troubled woman. Yeah. You know, she had a lot of issues. Do you guys have a lot of issues that are listening to this podcast? Sometimes, You know, sometimes we get to see things that that even the, the righteous don't get to see because we're so messed up. We're proud to God. And he shows us stuff and he brings us along. And so we want to tie in this whole first fruits because, once again, on the morrow after the Shabbat was first fruits. It's interesting that with with Pesach or, or Passover, unleavened Bread and first fruits, that whole weekend is all three of these. It's incredible. Boom, boom, boom. That's how it happened. Just like that, boom, 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 and and that's how it's going to happen, even in the fall feasts. So uh, once again, so what day did Yeshua rise from the dead? The day after the Sabbath, which is the first day of the week. You know, there we have it. Now we want to tie in uh, first fruits. Uh, the feast of first fruits, uh, something that was told by Eddie Chomany, he, he was saying that that's when the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea. Interesting. Is the feast of first fruits? They would have crossed the Red Sea. That's that's interesting. where the walls of water were on either side, and, and and the sea was parted. Uh, a fascinating understanding because once they left Egypt, things started happening quickly. Um, so, with that said, uh, why is first fruits so important? Because Yeshua has to fulfill the feast of first fruits. We know that He's the Lamb, He's our unleavened bread. But how is He first fruits, Ryan? Let's look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 19 through
0: 23. Check this out. You're going to love this because it was fulfilled to the day. That's right. It says, if, if, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. Firstfruits. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at His coming.
1: So God's original plan, Ryan, is that no one was to die, no one was to be sick, For the wages of sin is death. Uh, And so what happens? Jesus takes the sting out of death. You know, when Pastor Randy passed away, when he went to be with the Lord, the the Torah portion was Jacob departed. But the half Torah is found in Hosea. O death, where is thy sting? You know, I thought that was quite fascinating because now uh, look where Beit is at today. Uh, because of this great patriarch, uh, Pastor Randy Dreyer. So once again, we want to tie in first fruits and resurrection, resurrection and first fruits. Absolutely. You know, and and you know, we live in a time now where we're like little gods running around, look at me and look at this, and really, what are we promoting? We should never promote self. You know, we should promote the things of God. You know, I'm reading this book the last week, and they brought out a really good point. Uh, they were basically saying that you know, Yeshua didn't come pressing and pushing that, hey, I'm the Son of God, you better listen to me. You know, he didn't push that at all. Actually, I think there's only two references in Mark of that. What he presented, what Yeshua was saying was the kingdom of God is at hand. He was promoting and pushing the kingdom of God. Not to say that the Son of God is not important, because if you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. But I'm just saying to all of you, wow, what a revelation. So what are we doing in the kingdom of God? You know, why is there friendly fire? Why would we want to be against the church? You know, why would we want to do that? What did Yeshua say? Hey, if you're not against me, you're for me. <laughs> you know, all these people are doing these things. You know, let them do it. Let, let, it, let, it, let it be, you know. Uh, they've already proven, Ryan, that when you take churches out of neighborhoods or even in different countries, crime goes up. Yeah. The, the sin is rampant. Yeah. But every time there's a church, the, the crime is a lot less. You know, uh, and they've actually even proven going back to the Congregational Passover uh, through, I believe, Duke University, um, they actually proved those that go to church are healthier and wealthier.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, to that to that end, um, you know, there's I think a lot of people who listen to our podcast are in the Hebrew roots, and they're all around the world, and so thank you guys for listening. Um, and but here's what happens at Beit Tihilah: we're a local community here, and so we get to see people face to face, right? And so we get to That's hear. Right. Uh, their testimonies. And I can tell you that um, when somebody shows up here, a lot of times they've come because they're studying, they've learned something new, and they're frustrated because they're like, they're mad at the Pope, they're mad at, you know, Constantine. They're like, why haven't we been told all these things? And, um, and you know, all of us, I think, that are in the Hebrew roots, it's some, to some, maybe there's some exceptions, but have been there. I was there. I was like, you know, I, I'm, I'm finding this revelation, but but why Why was I never told this? And so I think that eventually uh, what happens is, you know, after you get through what we call the Torah Terror stage, where you're going around telling everybody, you have to keep Passover, Easter's pagan, you know, and you're yelling at everybody and doing all these things, that you kind of come full circle and you realize, wait a second, the church kind of had it, had it right in a lot of areas of what we would consider the weightier matters. Truth and justice, salvation through faith, faith. Um, Uh, love, grace, mercy, all of those things are the weightier matters, and even Yeshua himself calls those things the weightier matters. So what we want to focus on is what we have in common and not where we can divide. Obviously, we are for keeping the Feast of Passover and the Sabbath and, you know. in the relevance of Torah. We're for these things, but at the same time we're also for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and uniting at this time of year, and finding our commonality in the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua, and not in trying to split hairs and separate.
1: And, and, and keep it as simple, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of theories there's some great theological discussions out there about all kinds of issues, but let's just take the scriptures literally, you know, just like we we, we took it today with the public reading of scriptures and, and, and as well. So once again, we have this hope, you know, uh, and, and and I know that uh, as we move forward, you know, the hope of the resurrection is in us. Uh, you know, I I, I don't want to die in my sleep. You know, I want to keep working for the Lord. I want to keep moving and, and everything, because it, it talks about there'll be those who'll be alive and remain, shall be caught up together to meet Him in the air. And I want that to be our generation, you know, all of us. That would be the most awesome thing, is to be caught up together to meet Him in the air, in the glory clouds. You know, that's what it really means, that He's in the clouds. It means it's His glory. You know, it's it's evidence of His glory. Uh, and so look up, because your redemption draweth nigh. Amen. So once again, we want to just... Uh, Thank all of you for listening to this podcast. We have hope for you. We pray for you. You know, we believe in you. And for such a time as this, you were born. Uh, Think about it. You're the first generation to be born again, baptized in water, filled with the Holy Spirit, and have Torah. Don't take it lightly, amen. Take what God has given you and use it to your advantage. You know, Um, there was a gentleman that came by. He's doing his doctorate in theology, I do believe, from the University of Norway. And this gentleman came by and did some interviews and did some different things. And he shared with me. Uh, some interesting things, you know, he said of all the denominations, the Pentecostals are the hottest move right now to receive their Hebrew roots. Uh, and that would only be uh, appropriate or fitting because, you know, when you have the menorah, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're going to want your identity. You want to know who you are and 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 who he is. And so uh, once again, just think about that. Uh, also, he, he discussed with me and shared with me something that's another phenomenon. The simple fact that he says that the Christian Arabs are getting their Hebrew roots. Um, Ishmael, you know, the Arabs that are Christian, that have accepted Christ, Yeshua, are actually beginning to practice their Hebrew roots. As Christian Arabs, so something's happening in the earth today. Uh, if you read Isaiah forty to sixty-six, you're going to see that that God is looking for uh, Israel to be His servant, His witness. If you're grafted in, you're part of the Commonwealth of Israel. Ephesians two, uh, Romans, uh, He talks about being grafted in as a wild branch. Uh, there are people coming out of, of course, the nations that are not Jewish that love Israel that are grafted in, and we need to keep that in perspective. We're not replacing anybody. We are coming alongside. And so I'm excited uh, to to be able to celebrate the spring feasts. We're going to have a good time. Our theme is the person Yeshua, and uh, we're going to be having an awesome time this Shabbat as we celebrate Pesach, as we receive communion. Uh, And by the way, that is the time to actually do communion would be on Pesach. And so with that said, I just want to encourage all of you that are listening that uh, I can't tell you enough how much the Father loves you and you're good enough. You need to say that. The Father loves me, and I'm good enough, because you are. And, uh, you know, don't have no fear of failure. Come against it. Say, I'm not a failure. Uh, That's the biggest roadblock to a lot of us. We just feel like we're just a failure. We just can't cut it. We can't make it. But no fear of failure. You are not a failure. Amen? You are a success. You are a son uh, and a daughter of God. And you need to speak that right now as you go into this Pesach season. We're going to lift Yeshua up so that all men women and children may be drawn unto Him and get away from me, myself, and I.
0: That's right. So uh, a couple more verses that I just want to give you guys before we close. Um, The first of which is from Isaiah 53, and it's uh, verse 7. It just says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. And so, you know, he, he did this. He is the ultimate sacrifice for us. He is our propitiation, and He took our place. Um, and so I think it's just a, a super important concept that we remember, that we came out of Egypt, and we celebrate the coming out of Egypt, but we came out of Egypt to serve the Lord. Praise God. And so as we come out of Egypt to praise the Lord, we remember His death, burial, and resurrection, and that is the substance of the Passover. And so um at, as we kind of close, I want you guys to just look at uh Romans uh, 10 and verse 9, because really, this is, this is the, the crux of it. As we look at all these other pieces, yes, he did all this work, but you as a listener have to receive it. And I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're thinking about. I don't know who you've listened to in the past. Uh, but, but this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, Then thou shalt be saved. And so our job is to receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus Christ offers. He already did the work and he died on the cross for your sin. And so now your job is to pray to him and say, Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to, I know that I'm a sinner, and I want to confess that you uh, are Lord, that you died, were buried, and that you were raised from the dead by God. And so uh, as you guys do that, I pray that some of you who are listening are thinking and you're praying and that there's a good work happening between you and the Lord. And the the Bible says that there is a a party in heaven for every man that repents of his sins and accepts the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... Uh, bless you guys we love you if you want to reach out to me you can uh, hit me up at uh, ryan at 2praise.net that's ryan r-y-a-n at 2praise.net if you want to know more about the Passover you want to know about the Torah you want to know about salvation whatever it is you want to know uh, I'd love to hear your questions uh, or whatever you're looking to hear or if you just have a comment or, or something like that uh, I want to wish all of you guys a Chag Sameach uh, a, a happy uh, feast day uh, this coming Passover which again is on Friday night and, uh, and if you want to call the office, you can hit us up at 813-654-2222. Uh, we are having an awesome uh, Saturday, and you can uh, catch that on our live stream at 2 or on any of the social media platforms. God bless you guys. Have a great week.